0: Welcome to another episode of In The Area Podcast, your weekly source for wisdom nuggets. Today, we sit down with Dave Maloney, the founder of the D10, a decathlon broadcasted on TV that has raised over $15 million for pediatric cancer research, and the CEO and founder of Orchestra Macro Systems, a digital assessment platform that optimizes human performance. If you are feeling good today, if you are feeling nice, I encourage you guys to smash that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other app that streams. That's what gets us up in the discoverability rankings. That's what makes us shine. That's what does our dizzle. So without further ado, thank you, human. Thank you, furry friend, for listening to today's episode, and enjoy. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Can you explain to us what the D10 is and what Orchestra Macro Systems is?
1: Um, so the D10 is uh, this would have been its eleventh year in existence. It's a you know multi-event athletic contest, a national tour that we you know created after my mother went through cancer treatment. And it brings together, you know, white-collar professionals to compete in an NFL combine-style competition. And we built some technology that allows the public to wager on the participants' performance. And all of that money that's wagered funds pediatric cancer research, and it's raised about $15 million. Couldn't add to that total this year. We hope that it returns in 2021. Sometimes we're optimistic, sometimes we're pessimistic based upon whatever article or story you heard that day. In terms of Orchestra Macro Systems, it's a pure software company. Orchestra Macro Systems delivers multidisciplinary assessment management software with predictive analytics. Mm -hmm. We particularly focus exclusively on the Department of Defense, which has 10,000 different unique multidisciplinary assessments Almost all of them are compulsory for, you know, the the largest workforce the world's uh, ever known and probably will ever know. And that's been uh, quite a journey to figure out wow. that road because uh, the Department of Defense or really the public sector buys things differently than the private sector. You know, we're supporting chiefly the Air Force and the Office of the Secretary of Defense and... Yeah, we're we're early stages in into that business, you know, less than two years, but uh, it's pretty pretty wild.
0: I just find it interesting that we're yeah. sitting behind a quote from Plato yeah. that says you can discover more about a person in an hour of play than you can. Than, than a year of conversation it's funny that we're having a conversation right now trying to learn about each other but um, can you I just want I want to hear a little bit more about about that philosophy and and what what that means
1: sports in general exercise in general that when you when you do it amongst other people you're going to see facets of their personality that may be otherwise very very difficult to learn in a conversation or in a, a professional business setting but when let's just take this example when thing when when exercise begins to hurt some people push through it and other people do not it's not always a perfect correlation to how they perform in business or in life in general but many times it's a window Hmm. many times it's a window into that person's psychology or their sort of command of their their you know their will,
0: right? What are the specific events in the yeah. D ten?
1: So the D ten is the NFL Combine plus four event. So you run a four hundred meter run, then a football throw, just grip it and rip it. And then you got uh, pull ups, a forty yard dash, five hundred meter stationary row, a vertical jump, pro shuttle, which is the five ten five drill. You've got a bench press, you've got a long jump or a broad jump. And you finish it up with everyone's favorite, the 800-meter run.
0: But I, I think that's really cool that you came out of college and you started something that was immediately just giving back. Like, where, where do you yeah. think that sort of value comes from? We just sort of f-
1: figured that if you wanted to create an athletic event with really, really, really competitive people, it was fantastic to watch. The way f- to make that happen was you'd have to correlate that to a philanthropic outcome. It was the only way to get that audience back. Yeah, And... Like I wanted to watch that
0: would, would you say that principle of giving back would apply to things outside of sports and just generally like if if you if there's a way to give back it's going to motivate you to try that much harder? It should I mean I, we would I, I would argue a,
1: a, a fatal flaw in philanthropy is uh, is often that the philanthropic impact does not correlate to the effort right so someone can just write a check and you know it it it's very little effort. Philanthropic impact corresponds to effort. And we believe that's a better representation of, you know, the greater effort, the greater consistency in that effort in life, probably the greater the better outcome you're going to get. Mm. And we've we've aimed very, very hard, you know, very directly to manifest that way of thinking to the D ten.
0: And, and yeah. you, you, you target it towards pediatric cancer research. And for you, is there, is there a goal? Like if you hit this number or hit this thing with D10, would you feel like it's successful and it's, it's, it's accomplished everything you wanted it to be?
1: There's various ty- types of pediatric cancer. We'd like to contribute to the funding of re- research that results in uh, treatments and cutting edge therapies that continue to close the, the gap in, in curing a patient. So so pediatric cancer on, on a blended average has about an eighty percent cure rate. But you know, so you've got a twenty percent, you know, sort of fatal diagnosis. Um, and that's the those are the researchers and those are the kids that we are we are particularly funding. So I I guess to answer your question, if that cure rate becomes a hundred, you know, then it will have done its job. But we, you know, there's a long way to go.
0: Well, wow. and and are you are you up to date on like the, the the latest research and like advancements in different forms of pediatric cancer? Are there do you see any promising, you know, re- results since you've started D ten in in yeah. development?
1: Yeah. So so the the D ten supports a we call it you know a dream team of pediatric oncologists and researchers, data scientists from preeminent cancer institutions you know from Sloan Kettering in New York to Lucille Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford to MD Anderson down here in Houston there's a number of them and what they do is they they formed a partnership where they pool patient data particularly of the the sickest kids and they collaborate on research and basically the development of therapies so that you know, rather than in a hospital trying to work on a particular therapy in a siloed fashion, they kind of syndicate the work across, you know, experts that can all contribute to the same project. And so, rather than having to move the kid from one hospital to the next, where that kid may be closer to the chief researcher, the chief, you know, oncologist to treat that form of rare cancer, you know, you don't have to do that. Instead, with the entity that we we fund. Which is, you know, again aggregating kind of your best in class researchers to deliver a, a, a cutting edge therapy to a kid who may be, you know, housed in one of these participating hospitals. We, on an annual basis, will get a report. All of the donors, all of the participants, ourselves included, will get a report back on where did the money go, what were the clinical trials that were successes or failures, what's up next for the next year based upon continued funding you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of work being done in in genome sequencing
0: and and basically very personalized medicine but that's amazing that you get to have these insights in this in such meaningful work i mean the number of families that your organization has impacted is is probably enormous just being able to see the, the reactions from, from kids who are able to receive treatment and get better must be the best feeling in the world.
1: Most pediatric cancer treatment is outpatient treatment. so the, you know the only kids that are in the hospitals are those who you know they're real sick, their immune system's often compromised. Access to those kids is very limited for that, you know, for that reason, right? They're, they're quite vulnerable. So this is one of those instances, you know this is sort of the reality of really sick kids you you're not going to be able to see most of them play with them it's not like the St Jude commercials the the closest contact you might have if you so desire is with the parents you're very close in contact with the you know the researchers and the doctors who are delivering those therapies you know for us that's that's fine that's the reality of the kids that we're treating and you know, you hope, you hope that your efforts contribute to them seeing another birthday.
0: Have you had an experience that just totally reinforced your, your desire to continue in this work? Not one in particular. There's a, uh, there's
1: plenty of them. I mean, you know, the, the, the doctors that we are supporting, they're not only brilliant, they're easy to get behind. You know, there's, there's, uh, I would say there's a, there's, it's a different kind of smart, right? So there's there's people who are smart and they're in, on Wall Street and they make a zillions of the zillions of dollars. People who are developing, you know, n- new sorts of treatment protocols for kids who don't respond to traditional cancer therapies, that's a different kind of smart, right? It's sort of like off the charts, you know, even the most limited contact that you might have with those sorts of people, you know, I think e- even a, a lay person would say, yeah, I can support that. I can support them. That's kind of easy to get behind. You know, do your
0: thing. That that is so cool that you get to meet people like this working on su- such amazing technologies and, and treatments. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any mentors in your life that you look up to and sort of inspire your direction?
1: We have kind of an off-the-record, steady cadence of conversations, fireside chats with with CEOs, and what ends up happening is you may conclude is that. Those people um, are either mentors to me or become mentors to me. Either common themes emerge from those conversations, as I imagine it does for you in, in in delivering podcast content, and then certainly unique you know unique perspectives, unique approaches emerge in in those conversations as well. So, I would I would argue that you know somebody like Scott McClellan, who's a you know, sort of well known president, he's
0: in you know the, he's the H E B guy. And all the HEB commercials, uh, he's great. And HEB being one of the largest grocery chains in, in Texas, sure.
1: Yeah, there's 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 plenty. Um, Scott Scott Stewart, who's the uh, chairman of Sloan Kettering, very 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 well known investor. He's been a great guy to me. There's a lot. There's lots of them. Strauss Zelnick, uh, Take-Two Interactive CEO. There's, there's plenty. And so sort of people are, you know, some of them are more, uh, most are sort of, I would call them informal um, mentors, but uh, those are the kind that I would encourage ever, anybody uh, to have. You want to sort of have a cadre of people who come from different walks of life. They're in different businesses. They've found their way to success in, you know, a variety of ways. Um, and so they can, they don't have to all concur about, you know, how to do something. You know, they may give you their various perspectives when they're prompted, and it's up to you to figure out which one applies in, in that given wow. situation. And, and how
0: do you me- how do you meet these these people?
1: Yeah, you know that's uh, uh, I would say something that I've I've worked at over the years. Would current encourage anybody to work at over the years? You know, everyone has a superpower. I believe mine is you know I can I can get to largely whomever I want, um, and people who are incredibly successful. Don't 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 define that solely by money, but people who are incredibly successful, they 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 love to talk about themselves, but they they would they love to to mentor. They love to contribute. And so if you are actively pursuing something that's grand, if you are actively I think getting traction in that pursuit, And you make that known up front uh, when you have a cold outreach, you know, you're going to, more often than not, you're going to luck out. You're going to get a response when you ask for, you know, uh, let's just call it, you know, guidance, assistance. You want a rabbi. And then what ends up happening inevitably is if you don't you know, you ask that one rabbi, all right, you know, if you're in my shoes knowing what you know now about me, who else would you recommend that I talk to? And, You know, that mentor is going to recommend the next one. It's not rocket science, but they do have to believe in what you're doing and you do have to show traction in your pursuit of what you're doing. And you have to show success in in what you're doing. Um, And, I mean, I would argue life's not that much more complicated uh,
0: beyond that. Well, And how about any books? Are, Are there any books that have really impacted your life and you found inspiring? Plenty.
1: Um, a book I've been recommending pretty consistently for the past two years, uh, written by David Epstein, is called Range. And David Epstein's uh, funny because I I have known him for m- many years. He's my age. He ran track and field at Columbia, similar events that I ran, although we never ran against each other. We didn't. We're not aware of it. But I I used to talk to him well before he wrote the book, which you know he's written many bestsellers now. Range being one of them. It's a sensational book, um, particularly for people who are maybe not yet an expert, not yet renowned in a particular thing, they're kind of trying to feel their way toward, you know their their niche. And the book Range uh, talks about, you know, in a very beautifully written narrative, a scientifically backed way in which kind of the world's greatest at and then fill in the blank actually became that by way of dabbling in lots of different things that at least in the moment never seemed like they would all you know coagulate around an expertise in this particular thing. But in fact that's the way uh, kind of the world's greatest in blank uh, often often all follow that same track. And so mm. people who are you know not, maybe not quite sure what they want to do or they're not quite sure like hey if I'm, I'm jumping around at different careers, and they're worried about sort of not finding their lane, not finding their thing. You read range and you figure out like, well, shit, this is actually the way you should do things. Sort of the way you should go about life, not specializing too early, not, not worrying too early about not being, you know, the world's greatest at X when you're 25.
0: So this book really shows that you can try a bunch of different things and perhaps they will combine into your specialty. Dave, do you have a favorite failure of yours? Because the, the idea is that, you know, failure a lot of the time sets you up for, for later success, and these can be fundamental to towards long-term. So in uh,
1: 2016, we put the D10 on television. And immediately after that that show ran, and it performed very, very well, we recognized that, like, the people we wanted to watch, the, who, whom we wanted to watch the D10, like, they don't watch television. So we developed technology that allowed people to watch the D10 in, we would call it this this uh, sort of piecemeal experience on their phone. And it was that technology that we built that we kind of realized that, that, that the business of the, the D10 was actually the software and not the events. And I would argue that sort of because of our kind of dissatisfaction with the TV experience and our doubling down on our technology build led us to create orchestra macrosystems. And so, I mean, I I would argue the failure um, for, you know, sort of, I would say the television piece was actually necessary for the success, which I would deem a success right now, for orchestra to come to life.
0: Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and we, we keep revisiting this word success. How do you define success?
1: I don't know if I have a single definition for success. There are various, you know, sort of instances of success. You know, there's an ultimate success and there are sort of near-term successes, medium-term successes. And so at the risk of balking on a direct uh, <laughs> answer to your question, you know, I would argue that uh, success is all relative. Success is it needs needs context. Um, success in one context is failure in another context, mm. and you know, one need, needn't worry about uh, uh, that so long as you know you're looking at success or failure in the in the right. Context, right? But
0: you break it down. You you're thinking, what is, what are some shorter term successes or failures, and then what are some more long term successes or failures? Because sometimes a, a short term failure could be a long term success that leads to something else. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Wow. If and and I just kind of want to pick your brain on on like the, the essence. If you had an opportunity to write a phrase, sentence, or paragraph on a billboard that was broadcast to millions, uh-huh. if not billions of people, what would yeah. it say and why?
1: Oh yeah, this like the
0: Tim Ferriss question. Yeah, I do you li- do you do you listen to Tim Ferriss? I do yeah amazing yeah, uh, so these are and we're we're mm-hmm. referencing questions that Tim Ferris asked. there are eleven questions that you can ask to get a lot of value uh-huh. out of, out of someone, and they can be used in any context, not just a podcast but in in a normal conversation yeah yeah keep keep trying um
1: I would just say keep trying um even even and you know, sort of the the the, the back story there would be like you know. Even when uh, you believe you have succeeded, continue, can keep going. And if, and if you failed, of course, keep keep trying. You know that's uh, that's what I would uh, like to have on
0: the on a billboard. Just keep trying, persevering through these exercises, persevering through these challenges that you face in business to find success. Yeah, and even and by the way, so even when you
1: find success, continue to try. Even when you have achieved your goals. Keep trying. Can continue to be curious mm. about you know uh, what might be next, right? I mean, so much of what we do with orchestra macro system is is optimizing human performance, sort of multidisciplinary human performance, right? So you you want might- you want to draw this, have this virtuous feedback loop, so even when you hit, let's call them the standards that you have set for yourself, um, un- understand you know it's okay to then move the standard uh, raise the standard and say I'm going to keep mm. going here I, I think I think I can continue to do whatever better even though I've mm. hit what it is I want to because if you just remain sort of curious and uh, I mean this is this is oftentimes what my parents taught us my mentors you know continue to te- teach me you know this this idea of remaining curious, um, enjoying the goal once you have hit it, but allowing yourself to set a new one. Um,
0: you know, that's a spice of life. Right. And th- that kind of goes back to your answer earlier. I asked you, how would you define success for D10? And there really wasn't a number, right? It's always, you got to keep being able to set the bar forward. And you, you talk about orchestra macro systems, and that's basically optimizing human performance. Do you f- I'm talking to you now and you just, you seem so present here in the moment. You're very, you're very quick to answer questions. You have your verbal recalls is quick. You seem to me like someone who's optimized. Do you feel, do you, do you feel optimized? Am I just, am I just gassing? Do you feel like I'm just, you know, gassing you up on
1: three? Dude, I'm five, eight, <laughs> five, eight. Yeah. I mean, I'm so far from optimized. Dude, dude, you can't,
0: <laughs> hey, you could be four and five and you could be optimized, man. It's not about, it's not about, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking just the, the shit you can control. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I actually just signed myself up for a computer vision uh, course. Hmm. Um, not that I'm uh, actually going to be banging out computer vision um code, but uh, computer vision is an important component of of our business, and so I should know it um better than I do. No, uh, no, no, no. Uh, okay, that's that's maybe the the you know the uh, sort of uh, part of our sale to to the Department of Defense is 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 uh, we have set standards, and so f- f- so far most things where there's a standard associated with it, whether it's physical fitness, whether it's cognitive capacity, characterological capacity or control, whatever it is, we've set a standard. We haven't revisited those standards. We, we haven't, as technology has evolved, we haven't, oftentimes we have found in the DOD, we would ask, well, why is this, this, this the standard? For example, why is this the physical standard this sort of soldier. Why is this the standard in this particular marksman uh, event for this kind of soldier? Why is, right, you just keep asking that. And it's hard when people go, oh, I mean, like, this this has been the standard for 30 years. And I say, well, what's the data that was used to define this as the standard? And subsequent to this being defined, does the data that you ultimately then procured does it support this continuing to be the standard? Mm. We call oftentimes what Orchestra does, which is a great reflection of how we, you know we go about living our lives, is Orchestra measures things intelligently. It allows allows you sort of the humility and flexibility around standard standardizing things. So the way and thing way things are done, yeah, it doesn't have to be. That way forever. Uh, The way things are measured, what it's measured against, it doesn't have to be that way forever. That, you know, these days with technological advances, we can get smarter about how things are done and how they are measured. And you needn't ever be uh, cemented to a particular way or a particular uh, standard. So, Mm. um, you know, my wife and I teach that even, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to our young kids as they get to learn, you know, how to play sports or, you know, just be a student.
0: Yeah. So it's making sure that the data supports the goals that you're setting and and making sure that you have the data and orchestra provides the system to, to acquire that data. Can you, can you talk about the way that orchestra is able to like what, what sort of data specifically can orchestra help you see?
1: Um, sure. So, so uh, think about think about it like this: um, If you were going to measure a massive group of people in their capacity to fire a particular kind of weapon at a series of targets, okay? There's a way to do that very informally by just saying, "Everyone, go to this particular range. We're going to set up all the targets. Shoot at those targets." And you either hit the target or you missed the target. And that's the only information we'll record. I think this is the answer to your question. What orchestra says is, well, there's a lot of context that you could add to that assessment to really understand if somebody can fire that weapon accurately at the targets. Because ultimately what you're trying to figure out is if you sent this person into conflict, could they fire a weapon at an enemy and hit that enemy? That's what you're trying to figure out, right? right? And so we say, well, how do you, what, what are the, what are the uh, scenarios and situations and contexts that we can recreate in that practice scenario that will actually get you closer to answering that question, can this soldier use this weapon to fire at that target in the scenario in which he may actually need to do that. Mm. So orchestra as a software platform, not, you know, not, 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 to, not to sell it, but just to you know to, to frame it. Orchestra allows the, the DoD to basically toggle on or toggle off various inputs, let's call them passive data streams that contextualizes someone's performance, in handling that weapon, mm. right? Are they tired? Is it cold? Is it raining? Mm. Um, did they just run ten miles prior to arriving at the range, and now they're depleted? Right? You can build such a narrative around that performance to get it closer to understanding, right? What right. It,
0: what you actually want to measure. Mm. And how would you measure something like tiredness? Like if if someone feels, is it, would that be a self-reported sort of like, hey, I'm feeling like a four out of ten? No, you,
1: sometimes you you would take, you know, some autonomous sensors. You'd put wearables on that person. You'd measure their heart rate variability. Mm. You, you You would measure other kind of physiological characteristics that will correlate or give you identifiers into, you know, sort of. How depleted, how degraded that person's mental capacity is, physical capacity is, mm. when they're asked to perform that particular assessment, which should inform, uh, you know, the subsequent training. Right, this is that feedback loop. You should, mm. right, you should get smarter on training where you uh, you see, you know, pers- people that are seeing massive degradation in a particular skill. In the event there's, you know, one or two variances that are. You know, high, high, you can manipulate them to a degree where you say, like, look, this guy is great, except when he's tired. Mm. And when this guy's tired, more often than not, right, his degradation is, like, severely, severely, wow. you know, um, uh, limiting. Mm. And so that might affect— the kind of job you give that person in a
0: conflict zone. Or the decisions where, you know, you'd, you might decide not to put them somewhere where they would be at risk because of the certain factors that you discovered during training. Amen. Know. So
1: actually, I'll give, I'll give you a, a pretty um, amazing story. So recently, Orchestra wasn't involved in this, but recently the DOD, in figuring out, doing some of these live training exercises, right? War games. Um, they simply were g- grabbing... Um, data off of, through wearables, off of the commanders who were not involved necessarily in the fight, but they were involved in making decisions. And what they figured out was the sleep deprivation, the effect that it had on these commanders making decisions. What they figured out was commanders, based upon a certain level of sleep deprivation, were making decisions that correlated to decisions that people make when they were drunk, wow! Right, because they were so right, depleted, right, hungry, thirsty, tired to such a degree that the commanders making decisions around live in live wargaming oh exercises were the equivalent of just being drunk. But like, what, like, what a revelation! Right. So you used to figure out, okay, you know, w- w- now that we know this information, we know how to sort of stack, uh, or right sort of staff, a particular mission. So you don't have a commander basically in a drunken state making life or death decisions well, on behalf yeah, of other people. That, yeah. Like that's, that's rather powerful. And that's the stuff we geek out about.
0: You have a team of people working are these people from a, from a military background that you're working with.
1: Never. No, it's sort of interesting. No, because we, uh, Sometime, and we were very careful here not, not to get too sort of married to ways of thinking or ways of doing things. So we, we want to remain as, you know, I would say neutral mm. um, to, to kind of optimize the way that we support the Department of Defense or even a first responder community if we ever get there.
0: Right, because you're coming in with no preconceived notions about the way things work, or if you if you present a new way of doing things, there's not someone on the team who's going to be like, "We never do that.
1: yeah, we want to be very careful not to know too much, yeah, right. We want to know everything we can about what it is that we do, but to be able to ask sometimes stupid but always you know largely innocent questions about how something is measured, how something is done, mm. Because we have no preconceived notions.
0: I, I'm always interested in how people select people for their team. Yeah, I, I, I asked Vignesh Nash this question. I was, I, I was, I appreciated his answer. What, what are, what are some characteristics or qualities in people that you think make them an effective team member?
1: Mm. Depends who you're, depends on the position that you're hiring for. You know, we we've actually started uh, having people take characterological and behavioral assessments. Because there there are some that are in the marketplace right now that are really really good. It's, it's called you know match quality, right? So so um, probably the greatest example would be in in sports, right? In sports, sometimes you can put on paper in the game of basketball, for example, the five best players on a team on paper, but then they actually play like shit together, right? They're five great guys, and you look at them on paper, and you're like, how does this team always lose? Well. It's called match quality, right? So, so, right there, there the way in which they play the game doesn't mesh. Hmm. So, we've begun uh, simply on orchestra, and I wish I had done this years ago. Maybe going back to failure, uh, I wish I had done this years ago for for the D10. But we look at match quality when we're forming our team, right? So, someone has to have a particular skills, right? We we don't want to teach that. Um, they do have to come in because we're hiring mostly, you know, systems architects and engineers and so forth. So They have to come in with those skills, but then they have to come in. Where, you know, you don't have all of the same kind of person on the team, which has proven, right, sort of behaviorally, that's where the team is going to be sub-optimized. You have to have people who have these, and, and again, this is, this is readily available in the marketplace now, technology that allows you to optimize the formation of your team, not just on skills, but also on uh, behaviors.
0: Wow. Literally, like you'll you'll take a test. They'll be in, and based off the results of that test, it'll you'll be able to see if this person would actually be have chemistry on the team.
1: Exactly right. So you you don't want to have you know development team where there are you know five passives, right? Because what is a passive? N- well, like like no one will make a decision. It's oh, just it. sort of like okay. wait, like they're just always willing to please, mm.
0: you know the
1: team won't make a decision.
0: <laughs> right, totally. It's it's about the balance. It's about having the balance on the team. Mm-hmm. Really really interesting, man. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're in a sense optimizing the the team through through data there as well.
1: Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. It's one of the things that we're seeing, you know, you're seeing this um beginning to see uh instances of this uh in the military, but I would argue that this is a great um uh way in which the first responder community uh, needs to be sort of pairing, uh, you know, command chiefs with, you know, new recruits and the mentors. Right? You figure up like how, how do these things? How do these people pair up with one another? Yeah. Um, and if sort of behaviorally eh, they don't sync uh, with one another, you, you know, you
0: probably you probably have some bad outcomes. <laughs> right. Wow. Fascinating. I, I, I love it. I love, I love using the, the, the way you're using data to, to make the most optimal decisions. I, I think, I mean, I think that's just a better way of doing business A better way of doing things. We do too. Well, Dave, I, I you're a busy guy. I, I'm so grateful that you, you took the time to sit down with us and share all of your wisdom with us. So cool. These projects that you're working on, where are some resources or places that people can go to learn more?
1: Uh, so for the D10, people can go to the D10.com for orchestra. They can go to orchestramacro.com. Uh, I would encourage people to read uh, books like Range from David Epstein. Um, you know, I, I'd encourage people to to read uh, books like Atomic Habits. I, I forget the author's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's yeah. Charles Duhigg. Okay. Um, uh, or The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg um, is, is another great one.
0: Well, well, Dave, thank you so much. You're awesome. I'm very excited to see what the future holds for you. And I am so grateful once again that you came to sit down and I hope you have a wonderful day. I'm grateful. Thank you. It's been an honor. (laughs) Take care. Thank you guys so much for listening. You are glorious. You are wonderful. I hope you have an amazing day.